<laughs> Let's start the and episode then, with that. I told my professor, Wang Ting Bi, I said, now I need glasses reading these characters. And he said, look around. Every Chinese student has glasses. I said, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Wang Ting, thank you, Professor Wang. Anyway. <laughs> you haven't been studying uh, Chinese, have you, Neil? I have never studied Chinese. <laughs> That's right. When we went from Beijing, where I was studying, to southern China when we went to Guangzhou, and we would talk to the people, well, of course, I couldn't speak any Cantonese. And so we would try to manage by speaking uh, Mandarin. And, I mean, it was a real impasse. But the Chinese people, um, of course, we were the ones in the wrong because we were the <laughs> big-nosed foreigners. It was our Chinese, which was terrible. But, boy, we would really try. And we would say, do, sir, I'm sorry, do you really speak Mandarin? And they would go, of course, I, look at me, I'm Chinese. We're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> but we couldn't understand a word of it. So, anyway, yeah, language can be really funny. And even in China, you see people writing characters in the sand or on their hands to like, <laughs> no, this word. <laughs> it's this character. So it's kind of funny. Speaking of funny characters, um, I yeah. assume you must be making a ton of money on GameStop this week. I am not making a ton of money on GameStop. I just sent out an email about it, but it's fascinating. I did, though. You know, we had a... Um, a uh, modest, very modest-sized investment in Bed Bath & Beyond, which was caught up in the same uh, most shorted names list that went on the Reddit Wall Street bets. Um, pornographic, pornographic <laughs> board. So it it, uh, it got caught up in the swoon. It was no GameStop. I mean, it went, you know, we had shares at uh, from around $4 to $5, and it finished at 52 and we got out at around 44. Most of <laughs> Might as well lock in some of that, right? <laughs> Neil, I was buying it when it bottomed at $3.71 thinking, okay, in five years' time, this is a $37 stock. I mean, there's certainly value there now. I mean, there was cash on the balance sheet. There's a ton of real estate. I just did, you know, some back of them. It was a modest conviction, not a you know, heavy conviction buy. It should have been heavier, <laughs> always in retrospect. But, but yeah, that thing got uh, caught up in the whole. And I had on my watch list Nokia and uh, AMC. AMC kind of same thing, like a balance sheet issue with just the real estate. and the. But boy, the hedge fund shorted it. It got broadcast and the message boards took it away. So really you're not going to get a bailout from Stephen Cohen? Oh, I'm not going to get a bailout from Stephen Cohen. Um, I, but you know, this, this is, is clearly not. He, he, this is a, a disclosable event. He's not taking. <laughs> <laughs> for, for those of you who are his clients, he did not take any money from Stephen Cohen. No, 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 no. Nor is any of this in any way to be construed as some sort of investment advice. <laughs> my gosh. It's just sometimes you think, you know, when you're trying to do long-term calculus, 
in a marketplace where that is completely derided uh, and it's deranged. Um, yeah, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And, you know, Neil, I'm sure you are aware GameStop's a real yeah, company. Yeah, I've actually been to GameStop. I bought a couple games. and I think I try and buy FIFA there every year, and then sometimes they have it and sometimes uh, they don't. It's the one game I play every year. Uh-huh. So what, you know, uh, you probably know more about the business than I. I mean, there's 5,000 stores. They shuttered about 20% of them this year. It's a melting ice cube for yeah, sure. Because you can get it on Amazon just as cheap. So, like, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. only go by when I when I think the game could be out sometimes. I'm not like a first day game buyer, right? I'm like they're like it's been out for 3 months. Yeah, of course we have it. And I'm like, "Oh. <laughs> Didn't realize. I'm uh-huh. going to go meet my nephew uh-huh. soon. I just wanted to practice." Uh-huh. What uh Neil, when you had your cell phone store, did you just sell cell phones and accessories? Did you ever branch out into we anything else? We ended up else, selling or? satellite actually as well, which was interesting. Um Satellite Uh saved my business in a really weird way. T-Mobile decided not to do any payouts to dealers on commission. I think in order to hit, I didn't recognize at the time, but now I do, in order to hit some sort of quarterly number, Ah, I believe, right? And so like the United States, no T-Mobile dealer got paid. So here I I am, you know, I go all in on T-Mobile because they've got these great specials. You know, it's mm-hmm. phenomenal savings for the customers. We sell like 200 T-Mobile phones. They're supposed to be worth like 250 bucks in commission each. No money, right? And we did it for three months before we realized no money was coming. And so I'd oh, start wow. selling satellites, but I'd never sold one because I hadn't learned how, um, like how mm-hmm. to get one installed and do all of the stuff. And a customer came and said, look at you told me, he, this is the words he used, look at you told me you sell satellites, but you're not doing the work to sell me a satellite. I'm trying to do you a favor here. <laughs> Let's make the call together. <laughs> take yeah, my money. Yeah, she became take a good money. friend of ours, um, a family friend. <laughs> take my money. I'm trying to help uh-huh. you out. Uh, you know, you seem nice. I'd rather give you the money than somebody else. So um, after that, we sold a lot of satellites and um, they always paid on time. They didn't have the T-Mobile problem. Hmm. Um yeah, yeah. What when you say you sold satellites, you were Dish selling Network what? Dish and both. Subscriptions. Yeah, yeah. Dish was aggressively growing. Yeah, and and phone book ads were like a real thing, and they they mattered. And even just taking a small phone book ad in whatever random phone book came to you was going to make you money. So, hmm. like, if a new phone book hmm. showed up at your door and said, "Hey, you should subscribe," you know, the answer was yes. We'd like a you know a quarter page ad. Huh. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause you yeah. broke even every month on them. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, like six or seven months of the year, you, you did really well. So mm-hmm. breaking that break, even advertising worked. Um, but you yeah. were probably asking yeah. something else about GameStop related to my cell phone store back in the day. Yeah. I was just thinking, I don't know what, um, you know, I know, um, Michael Berry had a, of, um, the, the big short fame had a, a bullish position on GameStop over a year ago. I looked at it, um, but you know, as they kept closing stores, and I mean, oh, I, I, the headline risk is maybe too much for me when it says mall retailer. You're like, oh, ouch. yeah, those words are hard. <laughs> yeah, those are uh, not palatable these days. <clears throat> not easy to swallow. So I, you know, just. Uh, have ignored it until now. And I've always looked at the activity in the most shorted names because it seems like a, um, a contrary indicator in a time of money printing. But boy, 
I couldn't have anticipated this, you know? Um, and just yesterday, I guess GameStop's trading around 193 bucks, you know, <laughs> from under 90, under 20 bucks, you know, uh, a week ago and as much as $500 two days ago. I even think it touched 500 yesterday. Wow. Again, so <clears throat> yeah, yeah. When it gets that Values high, do you not think about shorting it? Because you're watching the market all day or maybe I, tomorrow was yesterday a research day for you? Yeah, you're probably watching the market all day. Yeah, yeah. This 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 whole um you know the end of quarter new quarter is usually a big time when i dig in to do a lot more researching than at other times because you've got quarterly reports you've got all the uh, uh analyst notes uh for what they're worth <laughs> not in this order <laughs> uh companies in the year end we get annual reports are coming out and you know it's just uh, really a good time to dig in and and learn so uh, that takes up a lot of time. And then you've got, of course, the ever-present distractions of the dance hall. So the music turned up really loud uh, with GameStop and Nokia and AMC and the crashing of some short-selling hedge funds. But yeah, that's what's... Uh, <laughs> it's been amazing. Pretty amazing. But you know, this is the same sort of platforming... Uh, and crowd uh, sourcing <laughs> network effect that we saw at the Capitol on January sixth. You know, this is uh, <laughs> you know, it's just as dreadfully stupid too. I mean, I'm sorry, it just is um, sort of mindless. And I know some people will make money, and again, I'm really happy for them. I, I, you know, anyone who trades in these markets or has done any sort of investing for a living. When you get some no, wins, I think it's, it's like uh, I, well, I think a lot of people say they trade, but I think a lot of people are really just you know haven't made their way to Vegas and are you know <laughs> cashing in on the only yeah. market that's available to them. Similar, they're not actually doing the research. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, but look, I'm just saying, I don't, uh, I don't like you know bow my hat to a winner in like Vegas either, right? I might think, hey, that's cool, hey. but I'm I'm definitely not like, hey, congrats. <laughs> Well, I mean, not in the Charlie Munger locker room mentality sense where someone's winning at the expense of another. I mean, some of this, um, you know, some of the Reddit group, uh, the Wall Street Bets group, certainly seems uh, to be relishing shot fruit, even a bit vindictive in this uh, quest. But I don't know. I, I think it's just another, again, sign of that frustration that we see finding its voice in many ways in our current societal arrangements. Oh. Yeah. And a lot of people, who's got the boredom hypothesis? Was that Matt Stoller? Um, or was it Balcuna? Somebody had written about the boredom hypothesis for why the stock market is so volatile and there's so much day trading and gambling going on. But there's probably many factors, you know, certainly um, ZERP, easy money, and the Fed keeping real interest rates in the bunker. I mean, they're negative, deeply negative, and that's usually uh, a huge inflation risk with a lag. But, you know, um, so all that easy money is flowing both to the, to the borrowers, the Main Street, um, and, of course, to the corporations. Well, so is Elon Musk any better than the Reddit? traders talking about <laughs> oh wow he's a grifter extraordinaire 
<laughs> he really is. I mean, think of the world we live in, Neil. I mean, it's pretty, pretty fabulous in a way. If you have, uh, <laughs> I think, I think a it's very... a little too close to the Kardashians for a little too long in LA when you say that. Oh, you bring the Kardashians up. Elon Musk has outdone right, right, right. them. I mean, they sort of started this, right? I mean, remember Khloe Kardashian bragged about her billionaire status only to be revealed later by Forbes both times as having sort of cheated with the numbers. No, so, no, it's I, not I, really I don't a bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, <laughs> people may question my reading material. But I always, I always threaten every year when Chris says something I don't like to send him People Magazine and Us Weekly. Um, so, for those of you who read it, like, okay, it's not my my, my periodical of choice. But um, if if you're not not liking something Chris is saying, feel free to send him more subscriptions. Well, this one, these these both come courtesy of Forbes. You know, Forbes tallies the richest Americans, and they were the 40 under 40 or whatever. And Khloe Kardashian topped the list, but it seems like it was a bit of self-promotion in that. And then Forbes, of course, came back and said, hey, we were duped. <laughs> we added it all up, and the sale to Cody and all this stuff wasn't quite what we thought. Well, they could have checked the numbers beforehand, but, you know. Anyway, so what else um, are you seeing in the yeah, market but, beyond the grifters? <laughs> uh, it's been, you know, I don't know, Neil. I um, I just imagine you. Well, I mean, um, for those of you who don't know Chris, I can imagine him trying to pull his hair out sometimes watching the market, and he he <laughs> could also pass as a monk it most of the time. So it's a very strange joke I'm making. Yes, yeah, mayo tofa, as they say, right? Got none. Got none. So I, um, but I think, you know, it's a time of a lot of shouting, Neil, just in a general sense. And when there's this much shouting, um, it makes it that much harder to find the truth. And so we have to be ever mindful. And that's also when the risks are highest. Um, I don't know. My life experience has been when someone is shouting or has a message they're delivering with a great amount of force, it almost is always them trying to convince themselves as well as to gain adherence. And the arguments are usually the weakest when that's necessary. Well, let's add in the market <clears throat> to that statement. And I would say, yeah, in life, but certainly in the markets. You know, I always uh, have had, you know, I, I believe in short selling. I want to be clear. I believe in um, price discovery. But I've always, you know, and rightly, I think, uh, judged a lot of the short sellers um, as purely promotional because, you know, their job is to move the stock downward. And many uh, and much of what they are pronouncing are so-called hit pieces, you know. Um, some obviously operate with integrity um, and are uh, revealing frauds and mismanagement in their short selling theses but a lot of times too the louder they shout the more they're just trying to knock a company out at the knees and profit from that behavior so there's a healthy skepticism there but this is a sort of amazing situation right to see the crowding of these investments and the um taking out of some of the short sellers it's pretty pretty remarkable um, yeah. 
And then that's not the only place where the yelling is. And this is just really the kind of furthest example of what we've seen already. You know, Neil, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, you know, we've seen it in private equity. and yeah, we, we just don't uh, even take those calls, right? So yeah. <laughs> you have to have done something no, reasonable. I mean, I think- we have to, we, we do reading before we take a call. I probably take mm-hmm. 10 calls a year where I haven't done a bunch of reading. Right, right. Well, this is it, Neil. I think the, the beauty of the work you do um, and the work I can do is that you don't have to go into that dance hall. I mean, you do not have to enter that particular game, you know? Um, no, in fact, um, yeah. um, Ray, who's listening with us, uh, he had had a company call him twice, and I'm like, you need to warn them on the second time never to, you know, not to call, because it's just, it's a waste of time. Um, no matter how good the company is, it's a waste of time. We need to do a fair amount of discovery before it's worth taking any calls. Probably yeah. even for you to jump yeah. on an analyst call, right? Um, uh, or, or even read the analyst notes after a call um, with a company. You you probably have to have read a fair amount that says, I want to dig deeper. Yeah. And also the, to know which um, analysts or analyst teams are really doing thorough work and not... Not Wall Street um, Journal work? <laughs> yeah, not espousing, you know... Um, sort of canned or um, stale information. That's very hard, though. I have to say, you know, it's human nature. Like, sometimes the investment mistakes I've made in the past are um, from having a fixed idea about a company that I've done this research and I, you know, do this analysis. And then for some reason, my facts and figures are sort of frozen in time, (laughs) in my mind anyway. And I'm not doing enough um, diligent work in updating my mental models or what's happening with a given investment or a company. So that's been a trap I've fallen into before myself. So I know it's um, a common foil for a lot of humans. I hope. Not just me. Is it just me? Neil? No, 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 no. It's not just you. <laughs> no, it's just me. I think everybody's so, yeah. there. So I, yeah. So I, 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 I think about that. But yeah, I, and, you know, too, not just uh, hedge funds and short sellers uh, just, you know, deserve some skepticism, but certainly the whole Wall Street complex, like you're seeing, you know, just there are salesmen everywhere. And sometimes the stuff they sell is, uh, maybe deserves a place, but most often <laughs> I feel like Socrates you know, when he went to the market and said, there's so much in the world I do not want. Right? <laughs> so. Like our friend who went to Costco for the first time. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Overwhelmed, right? How am I supposed to do with seven varieties of pretzels and 20 pounds of it? (laughs) (laughs) In truckload size, too. (laughs) I like pretzels, but I don't know if I like them that much. If I make a decision, it's a big decision here. (laughs) Um, well, so, you know, yeah. I, I obviously don't think your thesis would have changed uh, if, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's always evolving, but any other highlights that you want to talk about in the market that you found interesting over the last, we haven't done an episode in a while where we just talked about the market, I guess a few weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's kind of got its own 
voice and i don't know i sometimes feel like uh yelling into the wind is <laughs> spitting into the wind <laughs> that doesn't work, work, that doesn't work out well right like, <laughs> <laughs> none of those things are advisable um yeah uh the the market really is animated it has a life of its own right now in uh, many corners you know there's still though um and there always seems to be this sort of tale of two markets you've got um, a market like the the FTSE, you know, the British market, I think uh, it's no higher than 2007. Singapore's at 2009 levels. So we have a lot of markets around the world. And then even within the U.S. market, of course, you've got uh, energy and commodity-based stocks and um, mining companies that I uh, have a soft spot for that we've talked about before that are having record cash flows, but are trading as if they're going out of business, some of them. So they're, you know, they're definitely two markets. And then, of course, you have uh, late stage tech, which is just on a roll, but <laughs> just, seems unstoppable. Oh my. Yeah, it really, really does, you know. But I, I always worry um, when I look at late stage tech because my wife works in Microsoft, I always worry that we're, mm-hmm. we must be hitting peak salary one day, right? Like I'm reading about all these AI tools. I did, you know, play with OpenAI's tool, GTP3, uh-huh. and like they wouldn't announce, they wouldn't release two, and three is like, you know, a thousand times better. <laughs> now, now everybody can use it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, no. you know, I actually wonder whether yeah. you know somebody could use it to code. They, they've been people have been making posts on Reddit that people cannot tell our computers. They've had AI tools right. do it. So, like, how mm-hmm. long until we can use it to manipulate you know stock trading much more effectively <laughs> with Robinhood than we have thus far? Yeah, and so all yeah. of those things occur when I see these tech prices. I'm like, oh god, how you know this is not good. You don't just think of uh, John Maynard Keynes's fifteen-hour workweek meal, huh? You go to the sinister side of the well. Well, technology. so I, I think it'd be great to get there, <laughs> right? But there's going to be friction. We're probably the there now, right? Right. right. So right. let's say right. the government's willing to do it tomorrow in order not to be overthrown. Uh, that's fine. Just there's going to be a payday first, and, and there's sorry, there's going to be major friction, and then. Mm-hmm. Finally, acceptance. And we've built America on working hard. So it's going to be hard to change the mentality of let's be lazy now, even if there are plenty of people who are not worried about productivity. Yeah, I don't know if I would. Uh, I understand, I think, the intent of your thought. I don't know if people would just choose to be lazy. I think there's a certain creative force that animates most people, and that's definitely present in America. But I don't know if spending, you know, 40 hours a week in a – sorry to all the corporate lawyers out there <laughs> – in a mind-numbing job or whatever is necessarily productive. <laughs> Stephen McKay, we do love you. Uh, we need some of you, I think. Uh, maybe many of you. Maybe not well, so you many. Know, I, I can say that about financial advisors. What does it actually course, look like? Do we just hang out in your backyard more if we're working 15 hours, Chris? I mean like – are we like, are I don't we just, know, Maybe you know, the, at a constant picnic? I don't really know what it looks like. I don't know. We might be seeing it now, the sort of golden age of TV and creativity and all this, um, I don't know, content creation. Um, I don't know, Neil. Um, 
It's you know? funny because you're the opposite of a content creator, even though I've dragged you into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a content absorber. Right? <laughs> Most of the time, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, um, I don't know what that world would look like. Um, but I also don't worry too much. I mean, speaking of stale statistics, <laughs> I remember um, <laughs> reading way back in 2009 at the depths of the last crisis, like in March. Um, <laughs> oh, to go back there. Uh, and, um, you know, all the chagrin about jobs and jobs lost and all of this. And the, um, looking at the, the BLS tables, the Bureau of Labor Statistics tables, and recognizing that some... 87% of the jobs and job descriptions and categories that existed yeah, in 2009. Yeah, they weren't there in 1991. I was looking back at previous recessions. So it's almost a wholesale change, you know, from everything that came from the, you know, mid to late 90s into the early noughts, 2000s, from just simple things we take for granted now, web design and Yes, um, but you know we're not keeping up with the innovation. Well, we, I mean, there's cool things coming out, certainly, right? I'm, I'm investing in some of them, um, but we're not keeping up quite with things that are going to change every way we interact tomorrow. Oh well, this is an issue. Yeah, so so the the um, innovation now tends to be evolutionary rather than revolutionary, as they say, right? It's not disruptive or um, creating new markets or as, as much uh, disruption as we and, and new thinking and new applications as we'd hoped. It's more um, tweaks here and there. To <laughs> and the I'm the guy who started the company that, you know, has a chance to actually commercialize the hoverboard, right? Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I completely agree. Um, I see. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Uh, um, I definitely think that's not, yeah, you know, you're definitely not seeing um, tech revolution in the productivity numbers um, for sure. And then too, Neil, I have always joked with you about the, um, the fraternity that is Silicon Valley, you know? I mean, most of the quote innovation unquote seems to be solving the problems of the late 20 something college educated who wants to move to who, who want <laughs> right. to move to Austin. I need the dating I need dating and food delivery. No, no, no <laughs> who want to move to Austin. And postmates I need alcohol delivered too. And who uh, want to move to Austin. The twenty something yes, age male who yes. wants to move to Austin. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So, you know, those are the the pressing problems that are solved by the technology applications of that group. And it, there is certain uh, certain truth to that obviously it's a uh, sort of group think and those are the uh, dominant characteristics <laughs> of uh, the techies who flocked to silicon valley and other places like it to create the new world so you solve the problems of course that are most pressing to you is, is that why um, why chairman's running for governor wait hmm. did you not see this i don't no, <laughs> I, I guess uh, some people are saying there could be a recall for Gavin Newsom. And if, uh -huh. if there is, Chumath Palapatia is um, going to start running for governor. Who, That's what he said. Who, by the way, did make a ton of money on GameStop. <laughs> right. He was bragging about it on CNBC. So just to let everyone know that the narrative of the David and Goliath 
the small Reddit Wall Street bets traders are taking down Wall Street is just uh, also a the lot. guy who well, also the guy who owns <laughs> it's always more complicated. I think he owns like twenty percent huh? of Bitcoin as well. Who's yeah, that? Chama early, Chimuth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's a a mover and a shaker. <laughs> just what we need. We we need uh, another uh, uh, Facebook, a former Facebook employee running the state, right? <laughs> Although many of them seem contrite, you know. I don't know. After you've made your money, I <laughs> now you can save the world, right? Oh, anyway, Bill Gates is a good example. I don't. He, you know. I don't know what bodies he buried at Microsoft. You would know. That more <laughs> I have nothing but, but good things to does. say about Microsoft and its employees. I know you do, and you're right to be that way. <laughs> as, as I read from the, the disclosure that's been given to me by my attorney. <laughs> <laughs> See, Neil, I always knew you were smart, and that's. Um, anyway. but, but yeah, the the, uh, you know, it's just. Uh, <laughs> Not as um, off told the tale as it should be to see billionaires doing good things with their wealth um, or those with their influence. I mean, Jimmy Carter, I think he's the only ex-president who's <laughs> given so much of his life to wonderful causes and put his uh, heart and mind where his thoughts and uh, actions are all together. Um, Bill Gates is certainly among that group. Very rare. I don't know about Chama. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to take, take a prediction on this one, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> hey, clearly, this week has shown me that I know less than I even thought I knew. And I always thought I knew nothing. So. And Yogi Berra famously said, predictions are hard, especially about the future. So I'm going to. Well, you know, no, actually, Follow. Eugene said something pretty in- interesting about this. Um, predicting the uh, future is crazy. Inventing it is completely dumb, right? Like, it's just, it's very difficult. Uh-huh. Something like that. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult to understand where you're going and it could seem, you know, idiotic to, to try and take it on. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've been pinged regularly by our, our good friend Roger about the craziness in the market related to all things uh, biotech. Um, are, uh, are you seeing, are, are you paying a lot of attention to the biotech index and how it's affecting um, uh, any of your, is it affecting any of your portfolio? Are you in the biotech complex? Well, we've had <clears throat> in some of the, um, smaller portfolios um, that we've run, we had exposure to small cap stocks. And many of those indexes have, um, or portfolios have exposure or investments in biotech. And if you just look at the Russell 2000 index, I mean, (laughs) as uh, um, Royce Capital Partners calls it, the risky Russell I mean, 40% of those companies have not enough cash flow to pay their debt service. So they're zombie companies relying on the brains of investors to stay alive. So there's a huge swath, I mean, bigger than I think um, I've ever seen in any index of non-performing companies. But that index has continued to rise. And it's really those biotech names, again, most of them are profitless, um, that are leading the charge. So I've, I've seen it tangentially. 
um, I've tried to focus on uh, other parts of the market that have kind of been left for dead where there's uh, a lot of value and also I think some capital protection. <laughs> so that's where my focus has been. But yeah, this, uh, does his concern center around some extension to the work no, you I, do, um, like medical device or anything he feels I, might be? I mean, we've talked about some of that, but I, I don't think it's a concern as much as an observation. I don't think uh -huh. he's ever really concerned whether something's going up or down, even if he owns large positions in it. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, he, he's pointing it out regularly to me. Yeah, it's really remarkable. I think this, uh, again, this easy money and liquid environment is really creating these distortions in the markets. It's pretty amazing. So do you feel like this is uh, just as good a time, like switching kind of gears on some of that and some of your investing? <laughs> do you feel like this is just as good a time um, to be investing in, in some of the REITs and stuff you've done in the past? Um, well, I don't know if REITs are necessarily the thing. Um, I'm not rushing out to buy office, although <laughs> I'm seeing some bombed out prices in some of these sectors. Um, and yet I think it's still somewhat early, Neil. I mean, look, there's still, um, if you're thinking about real estate throughout the space, you know, um, moratoriums on the debt service, um, eviction um, constraints on uh, renters who are behind. So even in the multifamily or um, rental real estate space, you've got a lot of landlords who are hanging on uh, and they're able to push that back up the food chain by getting deferments on their mortgages. But uh, at some point this must end and it's probably sooner rather than later. Uh, sometime this year as vaccines roll out. And I think that's a huge gulf for the markets, the real estate markets in this case, to cross. So there's probably more distress ahead there. And I just see that the you know job growth has leveled off. Again, there might be another surge with uh, vaccines, but in the real economy, which ultimately has the gravitational pull on the markets. Um, <laughs> you, you don't read enough still Reddit. 10 million you don't up. read enough Reddit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm IRL, IRL. Okay. If I, uh, but I, I mean, we're still 10 million jobs below where we were uh, pre-COVID. So, you know, and that's, uh, in terms of the uh, U3, if we look at U6, just civilians who are out of the workforce, that number is still even larger. So I just don't know how um, much of a V <laughs> this recovery is going to be. And I think it's a case of what well, well, could be. Uh, who knows? I clearly, again, am chastened again by this week and by last year to know that I can't see the future any better than anyone. Wait, so, so let's look at the past then. You know, has there been... A crazy market manipulation like the Fed is uh, helping out with right now, um, or a bolstering. Yeah, close. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Let me finish the question. Yeah, quick one. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the question. Was where where um, maybe the economy didn't do a V shape, but the citizens maybe um, didn't suffer as long with this kind of bolstering by you know a fed equivalent in history
Can you ask it a yeah, different way? We, maybe? We've, we're, we're missing 10 million jobs. Uh, the economy seems yeah. to be sliding. The market's going up. The Fed seems to be printing more and more money all the time. Um, we've mm-hmm. got very low interest rates. And, um, you know, people talk about this V-shaped recovery, but it doesn't seem likely. It seems like we're going to have to go through a lot of pain um, before we can recover. Um, does it? Has there been a time in history where um, the market's gone badly um, and the Fed equivalent, which could be a monarch, you know, at, at a different time, um, has mm-hmm. bolstered the economy and it hasn't cost the citizens, you know, as much. The Fed's obviously trying to ease the economic situation, and I'm sure monarchs have done the same thing. But it seems oh, yeah. like every time yeah. in my life that this has happened, there's been a reckoning, and it seems like it's hurt a lot of people. Has any time in history ever avoided that? Has, have we ever avoided that what goes up must come down? I think, yeah, I think the... Um, is that better? Well, there's several ways to answer that question. One is, yeah, the one question about without... Uh, you know, has has it ever gone up and down without too much damage? Is one way to think about the question. The other is, um, you know, has has there ever been a time that you know the Fed or central banks or monarchs or some authority has been able to successfully ease us out of that situation? Yeah, that's a much better way um, to say it. Sorry, yes, that's the question. I'm asking. Yeah, I think that's. Great. Yeah, well, the the um, <laughs> the unhappy answer is probably no. <laughs> but as I laugh, but, as but I laugh, it's not that. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. Well, uh, you know, um, Jim Grant um, has a book I highly recommend called "The Forgotten Depression," and of course, it's about the business depression of 1921, 22. And that was actually a very brief um, and serious contraction in GDP or GNP, as was then measured, of over 25%. But it also cured itself very quickly because the Fed, in essence, did nothing. They did nothing for several reasons. They were brand new, um, having been formed in 1913 um, under the Federal Reserve Act. Um, So really kind of trying to find their way. And by the time they were able to quote, create a coherent policy, the depression was over. Um, You know, the decline in GNP during the Great Depression, which followed um, 1929 to 32, was just as much. Actually, I think might have been slightly less. But it took, you know, 10 years or more, 12 years or so to cure. Um, And then it's argued that it was only cured by us entering a war and stimulating uh, armaments, manufacture, and other parts of the economy. Um, But I think the meddling in the 1930s was very different from what you saw in 1921 and 22. And so by having a hands-off approach, you know, we have something, (laughs) Neil, which even you are very familiar with called the price mechanism. And if you don't interfere with the price mechanism, prices generally cure themselves. The cure for low prices is low prices, and the cure for high prices is high prices, which is to say when prices are high and profit margins are high, it attracts competition. And competition creates more production, and more production creates lower prices ultimately. Um, And that's the same with low prices. Producers exit, 
supplies dwindle, prices rise, uh, and that again right. attracts more producers. This is based off of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just uh, you know, as they say, one hundred and one economics. But but it really a lot of times we just don't think of it, um, think it all the way through, um, and this applies to the labor markets and everything else, and we're constantly driving a wedge. Um, into the spokes of the price mechanism. I mean, all over. So we really don't have price discovery. And of course, we manipulate the most important price in the whole world of business, which are interest rates. So there are all kinds of distortions which emanate from that. Um, but again, <laughs> this is the game. And we are all subject to This it. is why I so, would have thought rates are uh, might be better right now because you're buying at historically low prices potentially for some of this real estate. And at some point, some of it's going to be productive. Maybe not like mall space, but um, yeah, we're still yeah, going to grow I, as a population. I, uh, I do believe that um, even if there's been yeah, a contraction. I think you're right. Well, certainly you're seeing it in New York, Neil. I mean, there's some commercial real estate, which is whew, trading at just remarkable prices. Uh, my business partner Rick was telling me of a building that was um, offered for over thirty million, um, and in the last three months is seeing bids at seven million. Wow! And yeah, this is a a crash that happened <laughs> over a quarter. Probably the the mortgage deferments ran out. It could even be that it's a you know a short sale or subject to the bank selling. Well, no, a friend of mine was credit. telling me he was thinking about moving to Austin until the crash happened and now he's looking at buying in New York and he couldn't afford before. <laughs> well, this, this is true too. And I, I just saw another char, uh, chart that Austin is as expensive as Southern California. I, a, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, from some, I wouldn't live in Southern California these days, you know, as beautiful as it is, but yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I won't take it personally. Well, you guys are going to let some guy from uh, Facebook run your government soon, so. Hey, he's a contrite former Facebooker. <laughs> Realize the error of his ways and the monster he created. And to be fair, we couldn't all see that back in 2010. Right. I'll, I'll agree with that. 2012, you know, there was the Arab Spring. There were all these things that seemed very positive. Um. Before the swarming incompetence and imitators came, right? <laughs> when it was new and novel, and people were honest and open on the on the uh, platforms, yeah. So, um, a couple of fun things. Uh, maybe we we kind of well, let's do a uh, let's do something a little different on the show today. I'll mention a topic. We both get to talk about it for up to sixty seconds total between us. <laughs> maybe we end the show that way today. Huh. Like a lightning round. And if I don't have 60 seconds of value to add, I can just pass. <laughs> You can pass, of course. Because <laughs> I may not have anything to add. I don't want to waste our listeners' time. Um, or yours, Neil. Your time I, is I appreciate valuable. that. Uh, Jack Ma reappearing. <laughs> oh, interesting. Oh, you went right to the heart of it, huh? Do we know where he's been? <laughs> we, we do not. <laughs> Is it going to be like Han Bing Bing? Is he going to come back and announce that the CCP is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I think he's on his way, right? He's he's reappeared, it right? So uh, nobody knows where he went yeah. on some online class. Yeah, so we'll have to listen to see what his if his rehabilitation worked was successful. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> well, well. Yeah. So I ultimately it, think it means he can no longer be a reliable reliable voice once you disappear for ninety days in China. So that's unfortunate. I don't know. I would think. Uh, you say he's not a reliable anymore. voice. Uh, I, I think unless he's able to move, run away somehow, and even then, I don't think that's good for him. I think he's no longer a reliable voice. So you have to be put under house arrest for all to see? For all to see. So that your voice is heard that, in China? That's what I think. As a dissident voice, yeah. Or you have to, well, you know, uh, I think it was George Orwell, he said, always trust a source who's willing to die. Right? That's why I trust Edward Snowden, by the way. <laughs> That's not a political statement. I just, you know, people like, that guy knew he was putting himself at risk. He did it. There's something valuable. All right, time's up. Uh, next next uh, category. Um, and Dreesen Horowitz announced they want to develop their own media company. The return of Quibi? Return of Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like one of those movies with too much star power to succeed, like Katzenberg's. No, no. I, the, the thing is, I like. I don't know what the difference is behind what's happening anyway. Right? Like, aren't they already just a media company? <laughs> <laughs> don't they have some of the losing margins too? Oh gosh, Neil, that was very oh, funny. Uh, okay, underrated uh, tweet uh, uh, right there. <laughs> ben Horowitz, Mark Andreessen, I love you guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Amazon uh, offers and Starbucks offered to help distribute the COVID vaccine. Yes. That's it. <laughs> we should do it. We should accept their help. Amen. Hey, Starbucks delivers a shot every every day to so many thousands <laughs> of people. You, you get a quad shot occasionally. I, Come on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a, I'm a coffee lover, though I've been into craft uh, chocolate, which is a sort of market I've been recently discovering. Like, like you're investing your in investors' chocolate. money in craft chocolate. Let's let's be really clear no, about no, this. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 not yet. Anyway, but I found that the fine chocolate stimulates the same parts of the brain as the caffeine, so had a little more balanced approach. Chocolate, caffeine. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think though before we leave that, I know my sixty seconds is probably <laughs> up, but I think that patch delivery is going to be great for the logistics of this if that works. Um, instead second of the shot. yeah, instead of the second shot giving people the patch, well, then you don't need uh, healthcare workers to or or the Glendale Stadium where my parents got it. <laughs> Oh, they got the it. They they've been uh, yeah, inoculated at the Glendale Stadium for the first first. Nice. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, congratulations, Neil. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm happier. Uh huh. Uh huh. Always That's happy good. to keep them safer. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you have any categories you want to enter into the lightning rounds? Should the chairman of the NASDAQ suspend trading in stocks that have unusual social media chatter? No. Yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, that was a split yeah, second. No, no. Uh, I mean, Rothschild famously made a lot of his money on, on social media chatter that he helped start, right? Um, um, oh. I, I think social yes. media chatter has been a part of the market 
for this entire, you know, for since its inception um, of trading stocks. You mean Rothschild sell to the sound of can uh, buy at the sound of cannons, sell to the yes. sound of trumpets? Him, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and and famously did stuff that other people wouldn't write to, um, they, like send his uh, less than talented son to Russia to run that part of the market. <laughs> David, you go over there because keep the bright kids in where the money is. And anyway, sorry. <laughs> Family businesses have their challenges too. Okay. Any other ones on yours? No, no, that was only it. That's, that's the one you uh, have. Lightning is lightning. Okay. The lightning light. round is over. If uh, any of our guests have any suggestions on lightning rounds, uh, please let us know. In the future, we will happily cover them. I think that's it for today, Chris. Do you want to do you want to give our, our audience a warm a warm goodbye and warm wishes? Yeah, if there are any of you who are still with us who've made it this far, <laughs> God bless. <you. laughs> Surely there must be some more than Neil, myself, and Ray. If it's just us, I still want to say thanks to all who listened and who've been with us this long. Thanks, and I hope you have an enjoyable. Thanks for enjoying our commentary uh, and joining us yet again on another episode of Market Meditations. Mm-hmm.